Hello, everybody. Today I'll be reading God's Word. We'll be reading Daniel chapter 7. Now, I'll be reading from the NIV version. The slide will be from the ESV version. So if I'm not reading the same words, uh, that's why. And if you are joining us online, or if you have your Bibles with you, uh, feel free to open up your Bibles and read along, no matter what version. So, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's dreams of the four beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me were the wind, four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was very different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Other beasts have been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one of days 
and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The interpretation of the dream. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. The visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the ancient days, ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the early ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time times and half a time but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever then the sovereignty power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the people of the most high his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him this is the end of the matter i daniel was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale but I kept the matter to myself this is the reading of God's word except that he wrote it down and now we can see it today right so he obviously didn't keep it to himself for too long <laughs> so we're continuing in Daniel Good to see you. It's nice, a little warmer in here this week, huh? Than last week was our refrigerator worship, and uh, if you remember that, this book of Daniel. So far, we have learned um, and seen revealed how God has shown Himself, revealed Himself in very glorious and powerful ways as the ruler of all things. He is the King. Even he made and convinced and humbled the powerful kings that 
were uh, the ones that Daniel served. And then Daniel, we've seen up to this point, has been enabled miraculously to be able to interpret these dreams that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the writing on the wall, you remember, the Belshazzar. And he's been enabled to understand these mysteries that everyone else couldn't because he was enabled by the living God. Again, to point people to humble themselves to the ruler king of the universe. But now here in chapter 7, Daniel himself has a dream that is so significant that he then wakes up and he has to write it down in every detail because it troubled him so much. Have you ever had a dream like that? where you just wake up and you know, this is not like any other dream I've had. And I don't want to forget it. So you write it down. This is what, like what happened to Daniel. And so, but did you notice the timestamp of the the dream in verse one? Right? The timestamp says that it was in the first year of Belshazzar as king of Babylon. Wait a minute. In chapter 5, we saw that story of the writing on the wall, and then at the end of chapter 5, Belshazzar dies. He's killed, and then King Darius takes over, and then chapter 6, we just saw last week was the lion's den, right? Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and it was during King Darius's reign. So now chapter 7 is like a rewind. You've got to rewind back up before when Belshazzar was still alive, actually his first year as being king which we can say is estimates around 14 years before the Lion's Den event. So Daniel, we can estimate, be about 68 years old when he got this vision in his dream of these four beasts. And then that would make it, if you add 14 years to the Lion's Den, he's 82 years old. They throw this old guy into the Lion's Den, and God miraculously again reveals his power by saving him. So you've got to keep that in mind, that this is a rewind now. So Daniel, the book of Daniel is not necessarily in chronological order, especially when you get to this chapter, chapter 7. So as we observe in Daniel's life then, as he grows to be a good ripe old age, it seems like, that as he has faithfully walked with God, so then we too, as we faithfully walk and follow and obey the Lord Jesus Christ as his followers then we too can also remain steadfast no matter what is thrown our way in life or persecution or whatever, just like Daniel did. He remained steadfast in his faith and his devotion to the Lord God as ruler and the king of the universe. And I hope we all, as we get older, no matter where we are in life, whether we're just starting out really and have all our life ahead of us or we're in the middle or we're toward the end and we don't know how many years we have left, that we can grow to become these elderly people that are faithful to the Lord and learners always knowing how much we don't know and that we are investing in our younger generations. So as we're elderly, that pretty much means everybody else, (laughs) you know, that's younger than we are because that would be real evidence of God's glory flowing through us. So let's, for a moment, try to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites at this point of time when they are exiled in Babylon, right? It's, it's hard for us because we're in a North America. We're pretty cushy, comfy lives. But these people, let's try to put ourselves in their, their shoes. Imagine how they felt and what they thought possibly. Their home country has been destroyed. Just think of that. 
That's traumatic. This is what's happening to the Ukrainians right now. Their home country is systematically being destroyed. But just think about it. Their country has been destroyed. Uh, they have, many of them, that people that they had known, have been killed because of Babylon invading their country and destroying it. And now they've been living at this point for decades, decades, in this other country that is infested with idol worship. And yet they are people of God that believe in one and only God, the most powerful God who let their country get destroyed. And, and you know, even before this, uh, I mean, everything was destroyed. So they're, they're like a people without a country. But God, in this whole time, has given them encouragement. And through the prophet Jeremiah, we know this. And it's not in our text of Daniel, but it is also at the same time period, he encouraged his people in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Listen to what he says there. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Interesting, right? He's in control. It wasn't Babylonians, really. He just used them as his tool. That I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, but Babylon was not to be their permanent home. God made it clear as well that he was planning to bring them back to the land of Israel and resettle them, and then they would rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And we know from history that they did resettle, and they did rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, ultimately. And the Lord, you see here, is stressing to them that he is the reason for their destruction because of their sinfulness. But he's also the reason and hope that they only have in life because he will restore them. And that's the point, that the Lord God is our hope, our only real hope in life. Not our degrees, not our, where we can live, not the job that we have landed, not if, whether or not we get married or whether or not we can have children, it's, it's, our hope, it can't be in these things. It's maybe our hope is we're slowly getting into how big our retirement savings is getting or how little it's getting because of the recent downturn. Our hope cannot be in these things. Maybe it's in the hope that we can travel the world and do what we want and see the sights that we always wanted to see. But these things are just not any real lasting hope. Only the Lord Jesus the king of the universe is our eternal, real, lasting hope. Now look at Daniel's life. Here is the timeline of his life laid out for us. Daniel was forcibly taken, and we estimate around at 16 years old, and in 605 B.C., if you can see that on the timeline. He's taken from Jerusalem. This is one of three deportations, it's called, before Babylon destroyed uh, Jerusalem and Israel together. And so he's taken around that time. He was trained with his friends, we learned in the early part of Daniel, to serve the king of Babylon, who was the reason for kidnapping him and destroying his country. So he has to now serve the person that you would think would be his utmost enemy, the very enemy that kidnapped him. 
And then around 586 B.C. on this timeline, I think it says 587 on this one, that the army totally destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple of God. So here's another timeline. The Daniel at the top is his life period with everything else that's happening at that time. But think about how devastated the Jews must have felt in exile. They're away from their country, and now it's totally destroyed. And the temple of God, where God's dwelling was manifested among his people, is destroyed. What does that mean, you could think? They're asking themselves, what does it mean? God had forsaken the protection of his people. But it shouldn't be any big surprise because he had been warning them this was going to happen through many years before this happened because of their sinfulness. But they would have been devastated. And this happened actually decades before Daniel had his dream in chapter 7. So all this had happened before. Now what is interesting in the book of Daniel that's pretty unique to Daniel is the, there's this large section of Daniel that is written in a language other than Hebrew. The rest of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, except for a couple parts, but nothing like here in Daniel, where there's multiple chapters that it's not written in Hebrew. It's written in the language called Aramaic. And it's very unique. And it, and it starts in chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of the, the statue, remember, with the head of gold representing four kingdoms. And then it goes all the way up until through the end of chapter 7, which we're looking at today, which is a dream Daniel had of these four beasts, which represent, guess how many kingdoms? Four kingdoms. Interesting. And this is what we call apocalyptic language, when these things we see and hear of these dreams about end coming. Language and literature. Now, apocalypse simply means an uncovering, a revelation. That's all it really means. Apocalyptic language is often filled with symbols and metaphors that are not meant to be taken literally. Though sometimes it can imply to certain things, specifics. And we learn this especially for those of you who had been in the adult class on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. earlier this year when we went through the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic language too. And we, we learned of what the language was and how it points to the end times, God's revealing of his plan overall for the world. Now, this is a plug for Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. If you would like to learn the word of God on a weekly basis with a community around you, then join the class. But just as we looked earlier at the timeline of Daniel's life, God revealed to Daniel this timeline and his dream of the world, the future of the world. And this is an op... I mean, why would God do this? Why would he reveal this to Daniel? It's to give him hope and to give his people hope because they're in exile. They have, their country's been destroyed. And see, to know the end of the, what is up ahead, what is in store for us, and it's a good ending... That would give us hope, right? If we, if we knew in the end that it was not going to be good for us, that is a destroyer of hope. And so this is what it's the whole dream is for, is to give his people hope. People endure great suffering if they know what is ahead is much better. 
and wonderful for them. We'll endure lots. And the Israelites were in exile at this point, and they were suffering in many different ways. So let's go through Daniel's dream and its meaning as explained, as we heard in the dream, by one of those standing there, probably an angel. And as was explained, the four beasts are representative of four kings or four kingdoms, we could say, on earth. So the first beast, let's take a look at the first beast. It was like a lion with wings like an eagle. Now we can connect this beast with the head of gold in Nebuchadnezzar's statue, being Nebuchadnezzar himself, of king of Babylon or representative of the Babylonian empire. So I'm throwing up these maps to show you the influence and the rule that covered over the Mediterranean area of each of these kingdoms. So this is Babylon. But the wings being torn off the lion at some point symbolize this time period that we learned about in a previous chapter of him going insane, right? King Nebuchadnezzar going insane, acting like an animal. And then what happened? He was restored when he humbled himself and realized he was just a simple man in light of who God is, the true king and ruler of the universe. And so that's, that's that whole first beast. And then there's the second beast. This bear looks like a bear, raised up on one side with three ribs in his mouth. Weird, right? Well, this symbolizes the, the nation or the empire that destroys Babylon, and we saw that in Daniel as well, with Darius coming into power. And the Medo-Persian empire destroys Babylon and is even bigger and covers more area as its kingdom. And the Persians then dominated over the Medes because it started out as two kingdoms, Medo-Persians, but the Persians then grew stronger and stronger, so therefore the bear is raised up on one side, one side stronger than the other. And then the three ribs, scholars debate on this, but the three ribs probably point to the kingdoms that they conquered, Babylon being one, Egypt being another, and then this kingdom Lydia, if you look at the top left of the screen, that would be in another kingdom that they conquered. The fact that the bear in this part of the dream was told to go, get up, and eat, and fill your flesh emphasizes that it's just a tool in the hands of the almighty ruler, God, because it's just obeying what it's told to do. And then the third beast is very interesting. It is this leopard with four wings. Leopards are fast, right? And with a leopard with wings would be super fast. And that's the image here, is that this is the, symbolized this Greek empire of Alexander the Great. And if you know the history of Alexander the Great, he conquered the world in amazing speed and time. And so this was the Greek empire of Alexander the Great, which is even more coverage than the Persian empire. So he, he beat the Persian empire, he conquered them, and now he's ruling the world. But we know from history that after Alexander the Great died... His kingdom did not last, right? It was split up into four pieces, divided into four pieces, and that's the symbol of the four heads of the leopard. And then that brings us to the last beast, this fourth beast that gets the most attention in the dream and which troubles Daniel the most, it seems, because he doesn't even describe it. All the others, he says, it was like this animal. But this one, he doesn't describe it as an animal. He just says, it's not like any of the other beasts. And he says simply, he stresses the, iron, the big iron teeth 
and, and, and tramples its victims and, and has ten horns, which we learn from the interpretation that these are ten kings that will rise up from this kingdom. But then there's this little horn, this weird eye horn with a mouth that boasts and uh, blasphemes against God and his people, which takes over three of the kings previously. Now, some scholars believe this horn to symbolize the Antichrist, which is taught about in other parts of the scriptures and in the book of Revelation. But this horn that speaks against the Lord and his people and this beast that exists is going to be destroyed, we see ultimately in the dream. And, you know, the cord is set up and it's judged and destroyed forever. And then the everlasting kingdom of God is established on earth and God's people will rule with him forever. Now, it's interesting that the timeline of the world in Daniel's dream only included these four kingdoms that we can point to in history so far, right? Not the kingdoms of India, not the kingdoms of China, not the kingdoms of South America, all these other kingdoms that we know existed, but the scripture, this dream, doesn't say anything about them. Why? Why is that? Well, if you look at verse 2, it talks about from the great sea, which is another name for the Mediterranean Sea. So it's this dream, this vision is dealing with just this part of the world, and why is it when it's talking about the, the timeline for all of the world, right? Because it's dealing with the perspective of God's people. Israel, God's people, the chosen ones, the, the chosen people of God. Why? Because they are the ones that God's plan of salvation is going to be brought through, from, through Jesus Christ. And that's why it's just focused on this part of the world. All four kingdoms symbolized in Daniel's dream are located in this specific area of the world because Israel was specifically located here, the promised land. Then in verse 13, Daniel saw, whoops, yeah, there we go. Daniel saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And this phrase, son of man, was used by Jesus to uh, refer to himself on many occasions, the Son of Man. Well, I remember when I was becoming a Christian, not becoming, but a new Christian, and I was learning about what Jesus taught. I would be like, why is he so cryptic? Why doesn't he just say me? You know, <laughs> he just uses these terms that didn't connect with me because I'm a Westerner. I didn't know, and uh, I wasn't versed on the prophetic and the apocalyptic literature of the Old Testament. But the Jews would have realized this. And so he's referring to himself directly to and connecting himself to this figure in Daniel's dream of chapter 7. Now listen again to verses 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Sovereign power, that means power over everything. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. You only worship God himself. And dominion, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And now listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 19. 
Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, will, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Meaning God's people will rule along with him. Very key and comes right from this dream in Daniel chapter 7. Now through a dream, God has revealed to Daniel the, and his people, the Israelites, and now us, his people, what was in store for them. Ultimately, here's the big plan. Here's my plan, my timeline. And he's revealed it. And this is such a gift to us today as God's people. We know what's going to happen. We know what God's plan is ultimately for this reality, this world that we live on. We who follow Jesus know the end that is in store for us. And it's a good end, thank God, because that's what he intends for us to have hope. We know the timeline of the world, not only from this dream of Daniel, but from other places and teachings in Scripture and God's Word, especially the book of Revelation. And it is so important to know God's timeline. Why? Because knowing God's timeline for the world reveals to us what is false. Now, let me explain and give you an example of this. Uh, not too long ago, Mike Yu, one of our brothers, uh, he shared with some of us that he was approached by a guy in Target, of all places, uh, in Clark, where Mike and his family live. There's a Target there, I guess. And while they were shopping, this guy approached Mike, and he asked Mike if he believed in God, and did he go to a church? And then he asked if Mike believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Mike said, yeah, he was part of a Christian church, and yes, he did believe in the second coming of Jesus one day. Um, and so this guy proceeded then to share with Mike that his church believed in the second coming of Christ. Matter of fact, that it already happened. And Jesus is here in hiding. And they wanted to share with Mike, his church, the, what they know because they know who Jesus is, or the Christ who has come back. Well, Mike thanked the guy nice and graciously and said, well, he already had a church and he didn't want to, he wasn't interested in joining any cult. <laughs> the guy just like, okay. And he went off to bother other people in Target that day. See, Mike knew enough of God's timeline to know, like, what this guy is claiming is false. It's not true. I don't want to have anything to do with it. See, knowing God's timeline really helps us reveal what is false. Or we could just say it simply, knowing God's written word, the Bible, helps reveal what is false or reveals what is false to us. But also, knowing God's timeline transforms the way we view our personal timelines another way of just saying we view our life. Not our current life right now, but our life as we see it in the future. What is God's plan for us? For example, how many of us have ever asked the question, or been asked the question, I mean, when we were young, and those of you who are young still, have you ever been asked this question? What do you want to be when you grow up? 
Of course, right? That's like the common question. Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. <laughs> I want to be a policeman. I want to be an astronaut, you know, whatever. We often get to ask this question, and we will pursue exactly that in life, what we want to be when we grow up. Or when we grow up, we will pursue whatever that answer was or what we've come to believe or that we desire, what we want for us in life, we, what we desire for ourselves, what we desire for our families, for our children, for our country. This becomes the driving motivation for how we live and what decisions we make in life. In a sense, how we view our timeline from our perspective. What if instead we change this question that we ask our youngins to be just simply a slight change to what do you think God wants you to be when you grow up? See, what this does is it changes the focus from what our self thinks we want to be when we grow up to what do you think God wants you to be? It instills this thought that my life is God's rather than my life is my own and I will do what I want to do with it as I see fit. It just begins that mindset change from a God-oriented mindset instead of a self-oriented mindset. Now let's take a look at ourselves a little more closely for a minute. When was the last time we talked to God about our school, our careers, choices, or where, whether, where we should apply to college or not, or whether we should date this person or not, or our children and the struggles we have there or how to raise them, or our marriage relationship and how that's going, or if our friendships that we have are healthy for us or not as a follower of Jesus or if our desires even honor God or dishonor God in the activities that we do. What do we sense that God wants us to be right now? That question still applies to us. What do we want to be in light of who God is and what his timeline is for the world? Daniel's dream revealed God's timeline for the future of the world and for God's people. And each of our personal timelines is a part of that overall big timeline that he has as the ruler of everything. The Lord Almighty has given you and me a tremendous gift of knowing the end, what is in store. And we know what is ahead. We know God is victorious. We know all evil will be judged and done away with once and for all. We know God's people will rule with him in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity, with the Lord Jesus. And this is the big picture. This is God's timeline. So, what about the timeline of your life? You know, Jesus died and rose again for our sins while remaining still just and righteous. He took our punishment on himself because of his love for us. We did not ask him to do this. We did not deserve to have this done for us. But he loves us because we are his creation, his children. And so he cares intimately for each of us. He loves us so much that he even allows us to rebel against him and deny his existence and to do our own things Receiving the consequences of that eternally, being separated from him forever. 
that also is a demonstration of how much he loves us to allow us to reap the consequences for our choice. That is love. Jesus chose to die for you and me, and now he wants us to choose to live for him as Lord and ruler. See, God has given us a simple but deeply profound choice to make in life. Will we follow Jesus as Lord, God the Son, Redeemer, Savior, or will we reject him and continue to live in our selfish, sinful ways? Even sometimes bearing, quote, the hat of a Christian. (laughs) But in reality, just living and doing our own things the way we want. You know, we know God's timeline, brothers and sisters. We know what's in the end for all things. We know what's in store for God's people and for those who trust in Jesus as Lord and follow him. Listen to Daniel 7.27. And then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Our future is bright if we follow the Lord Jesus, no matter what's going on. So what is the timeline of your life that you have in mind, that you've constructed in your mind that you think, this is how I want my life to go? Uh, We all have goals, spoken and unspoken. And for example, one goal that I want to focus on at this moment, uh, as an example, is... uh, that families, our families put on us, uh, the world puts on us, even our church culture kind of expects of us. It's not necessarily correct or right, but it's whether or not it is normal to get married, right? We all see that. It's normal to get married, and it is normal. God established this from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Husband and wife, get married. It's a basic building block of a community. Families, right? Have children, and then they get married, and, you know, and it's on and on. But if we look at the scriptures, not only is marriage ordained by God, but Paul the apostle brings up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35, that singleness is also, he stresses, you should seriously consider this option. Singleness can be used and glorify, uh, bring glory to the Lord God. But singleness is often looked at as a misfortune in our society. Almost uh, like an, uh, somebody is unfulfilled or a tragedy, especially as that person gets older and older. We think like, oh, maybe, maybe there's something wrong with them because they couldn't find somebody. You know? And we, we, we see that it's just unnatural for someone to be single. And we don't see that as an option for God, a part of the timeline God may have for that person. And the Apostle Paul brings this out. And this is the culture we live in. Rather than raising up singleness and as a desired and honored path that someone can follow the Lord Jesus in the here and the right now, we look at singleness as incomplete, unfulfilling, and unnatural. So people spend a good amount of time trying to find somebody that they can connect with and be compatible with so they can meet that goal in their minds. But they're not asking the right question. They're saying, instead, we should be asking, what does God want me to be right now as a single person? 
Now, it doesn't mean we're going to stay single. God may bring someone into our life, and boom, we're going to get married. But this is up to the Lord to make plain along the way of life. I just use this as a, one example of us in our thinking of our timeline. God's timeline, as revealed in Daniel's dream, gives us hope because he is the ruler of all things. And if he is the ruler and sovereign Lord of your life, then he's, he's got that covered. No worries. Will we trust the Lord Almighty to take care of the details of our life? Or will we try to manipulate it and make it happen according to our constructed timeline? Because like Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. In other words, don't sweat the small stuff. God will take care of it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and the challenge it is to each of us because each of us try to control our lives, pursue the things that we think we want without even approaching you first, seeking guidance from your word. Even the good things of life we will put before you, like marriage and the pursuit of that, or supporting our families, or whatever it may be, Lord. But Lord, we pray that as your people, we will keep the big picture in mind, your plan of salvation, and share that good news with people in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.